You're listening to the Industry Alchemist podcast. The definition of alchemy is a seemingly magical process of transformation or creation. This podcast exists to hear the stories of entrepreneurs, business owners, and leaders doing just that in their industry. We hear about the journey of the brave souls carving a new path, moving their industry and our lives forward in a seemingly magical way. This episode is brought to you by OfficeChief.com. Office Chief exists to make moving your office easy and painless. Moving an office can be a big hassle. On top of running your company, you're thrown into having to figure out what to do. Hire space planners, furniture companies, movers, IT consultants, the list goes on. It only takes two minutes to create a profile and Office Chief gives you a step-by-step action plan and connects you with the top vendors in your market. Moving your office? Log on to officechief.com and make it easy. I'm your host, Matt Brower, co-founder and managing broker of Column Commercial Partners, helping companies save money on their real estate. I'm also founder and CEO of OfficeChief.com, an online resource for businesses moving their office or updating their space. Hey guys, welcome to the Industry Alchemist podcast. I'm your host, Matt Brower. Our uh, guest today is one of the smartest guys I know. He's uh, actually a new neighbor of mine. Uh, after graduating with a, with a dual bachelor's degrees in economics and urban and regional studies from Cornell, uh, he dove into the venture capital industry in New York. After um, several, ha- after having several roles in finance and technology over the next few years, he founded Three Co in October 2017. Three Co is an early stage computer vision startup solving 3D perception. That's way over my head, and we're going to find out what exactly that means in our conversation today. Uh, He just moved to Denver at the beginning of 2020. Welcome to Denver and the show, Steve Jenkins. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. Thank you. So uh, we were just having a fascinating conversation about the correlation between uh, Steve Jobs and Apple and gum sales. Let's dive deeper into it. Let's do it. (laughs) People need to know. Have you having gotten your degree in economics? I I uh, am not shocked that you came up with that correlation. It makes total sense. Uh, gum sales are down. What what percentage did you say? Uh, so it's it's been a very steady decline. <laughs> yeah, like eight percent a year for wow since two thousand seven. Yeah, that's crazy. And this came up because I was just chomping on gum while we were doing sound checks, and it was coming through uh, the speaker pretty loud. So anyway, um, what else do you? Uh, would you say you're, you geek out a lot on just random stats like that? You threw oh, yeah. that out. I'm like, how in the heck do you know that? <laughs> I'm a total geek. I, I read way too much. Uh, so, yeah, my, my morning routine is just reading lots of things on, you know, Hacker News. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Reddit, you know. So, yeah, and I just, I don't know. I have a brain that just picks up things that are interesting. Yeah, yeah. clearly. Wait, so your uh, the news sources, your main news sources are Reddit, Hacker News. What else do you uh, so, keep tabs Yeah, of? I love, I really love Hacker News. I've um, never even heard of that. Yeah, That's good. yeah it, it's, it's pretty much where all the geeks hang out on the internet. The interesting thing about Hacker News is um, it's one of the few uh, resources on the internet for news where you actually learn more by reading the comments than you do the articles themselves. Right? Oh, wow. Like, think back to the last time that you got to the end of a New York Times article, and then you saw someone post something just absolutely horrendous, and you, you can't really unsee it. Right. And it's just like a bunch of angry people, Twitter, you know, yep. the Twitter mob. 
they don't trolls. exist on yeah. yeah a bunch of <laughs> trolls just trying to get a reaction they don't exist on hacker news it, it, right from the start uh you know they hired a bunch of really great uh moderators and the, the community is just phenomenal so huh. i highly recommend it for anything tech related science related uh startups related it's run by ha it's run by y combinator okay yeah I'll have to check that out. That's yeah. good to learn about. I'm yeah. surprised I've never heard of that before. Um, so when uh, so you got your you got two degrees, one in economics, one in rural and what did I say? Rural and urban planning. Yeah. 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 How did you uh, how how, you know, how did you get choose those two? How are they correlated somehow for you? Um, so I entered college as a biological engineer. <laughs> okay. Because um, my sister chose that major for me. Uh, so I, st I studied in the engineering school to start. Um, I completed all those requirements, and then I was looking for more things to do. Nice. So I don't know the the idea of being able to impact a, l a large number of people um, and do so at scale. You know, I was just looking around for you know what are the best things that I can that I can hone a craft around. And you know, in China, for example, you have. Uh, the population of Manhattan moving to cities every single month. Mm. Oh my you know, gosh. So it's just like China is, is urbanizing, the US is urbanizing. Um, and if you want to be able to solve the world's biggest problems, you have to solve them through a lens of, of, the, of the city, right? Because right? You know, if, if you want to be able to solve climate change, you have to make people more sustainable within cities. Right. Um, you know, if you want to solve health problems do it in cities if you want to you know build a massive company you know build it through the context of the city so just the idea like the power that 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 cities have hmm. was was what really interested me and, and made me want to want to learn more about it and it's almost like what i'm hearing is like human behavior too almost right oh totally yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of sociology a lot, lot of anthropology Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of what economics is. I got a business degree, and I remember my economics classes. It's a lot about human behavior and sociology. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite class in economics was behavioral economics. Yeah, it was that's cool. The first time where someone, you know, took us out of this Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, classical economic thinking, yeah. and could explain why anyone would ever, from, a, from an economic standpoint, take on insurance, you know, yeah. take on risk. Because right. over the long run, it doesn't make sense to do insurance. But humans are naturally more risk-averse than they are loving. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can, you can structure psychological and economic uh, sort of, you know, experiments to, to, to demonstrate that. Wow, uh, yeah. And knowing that, you can sort of, like, game-theoretic hack the systems. Because you just right. know people are going to be more risk-averse than risk-loving. Yeah. Is there any correlation between that and what you're doing now with... You know, with uh, AI. Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a pretty wild ride. Yeah. You know, the the, the creation of Three Co. Um, my my co-founder and I we met. He was studying at Columbia. Uh, we had a love for basketball together. Um, to start, that's all we knew about. But over time, we realized that we also loved uh, architecture and design and urbanism. Huh. Uh, on 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 the one hand, and then on the other hand. We loved technology, entrepreneurship, data science, machine learning, yeah. geeking out on things. Um, so when we were looking around for problems to solve, uh, 
one of the one of the places that we loved just walking around and having chats on was the High Line in New York City. Yeah. You know it? Oh yeah. I walked on that uh, just a couple months ago. Yeah. 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 So um, the High Line was a huge inspiration for Three Co because essentially what you had was a you know a rundown uh, elevated railroad that most people just wanted to get rid of. They were like, let's just demolish it. Uh, but then you had these two guys with this vision to turn it into a park. And here we are 15 years later, and it's the number one visited tourist place in all of New York City. Oh, my gosh. You know, so if you look at the dollars spent uh, developing the, the High Line uh, relative to the amount of commercial and residential real estate value that it's generated, yeah, it's... It's it's got to be one of the most impressive returns on investment on behalf of a city, yeah, uh, or any consortium of of private investors of all time. It's it's phenomenal. So that was, you know, this love for urbanism, this love for um, public space, this appreciation for what plants can do in terms of bringing people together, mm-hmm. and then having that uh, produce an economic outcome that benefits, you know, a large number of people. That was, that was ultimately what, what led us to, to 3Co and to, you know, augmented reality for plants. Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I'm glad they didn't tear down the High Line because, uh, I can't remember what day, if it was a weekday or a weekend I was there, but it was jam-packed. It's like an elevated garden. And then you get to a place where there's like an art installation and there was a guy, singing, playing at some instrument, and he sounded just like, oh, my God. He, he had so many people watching him, and his voice just melted everyone. And it's like, wow, this is such an experience. Yeah. Did yeah. you live, what part of New York uh, did you live in? Uh, so I lived in, uh, in, in, let's see, I was on Spring Street and Thompson, which is in Soho. Okay, yeah. That was my oh, first Soho. Love that. Yeah. yeah. I was there before, uh, do you remember the Cronut? I've There's heard of that. I've heard of that. Crazy face to the yep. cronut. So it's, the cronut is created by Dominique Ansel, and I would always hang out in his bakery, and I loved it. it great, great people watching. I love people watching. And um, and then he invented the cronut, and then no one, you, you would have to wait in line for like three hours yeah, just to go there. just to get a cronut. Yeah. So yeah, you must have yeah. had one of the first cronuts. Well, I left after the cronut <laughs> craze. Oh, okay. I couldn't wait in line. I was <laughs> like, all right, I need to find a new coffee shop. So yeah, yeah I lived in... I lived in, um, see, I lived in Soho for a couple of years. I lived in the West Village for a couple of years, and then cool. I bought a place, moved out to Williamsburg, okay, in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I've been to New York a few times. I don't know it that well, but uh, my last trip a couple months ago was with uh, some small handful of best friends, and really got to experience the city how I wanted through the restaurants and the the bars and the walking, the meatpacking district where the the High Line is, I think, Soho. Yeah. What a great city. It's a, it's a special city. Yeah. So um, let's dive a little deeper into 3Co. How did that name come to be? What does that mean? Yeah, so we were searching for a name. Uh, we wanted it to be simple. You know, we wanted it to be um, aspirational, but we also wanted to be grounded in what we were building at the time. Mm. So um, simple is three letters, pretty easy to remember. Mm-hmm. Um, aspirational. We wanted to become. We wanted to build out to become the the world's largest platform for visualizing products in three D, and creating space collaboratively. Hmm, okay. So building essentially building tools for architects, building tools for interior designers, 
landscape architects so that they can uh, sort of reimagine in real time what a space could look like. Wow. And, and bringing in all sorts of data sources in terms of, you know, not only will this, we'll, we'll say plants because I know plants, not, not only will this one, one specific plant um, survive in the space because you have south-facing windows and they're of this size and you're in this geographic location, but also, you know, this plant has, you know, impact on bringing people together, striking mm -hmm. up conversation because it's a little bit unique. Yeah. You know, so something like a San Severio Laurentia where it, it produces, uh, it's really easy to care for, um, but it also strikes up conversation. Like I was, I was out on uh, this past weekend picking up plants from a new place. Yeah. And I bought this four, four foot tall snake plant. And everyone I passed on the street, I, just, I mean, I looked ridiculous, but everyone I passed on the street here in Denver was like, that plant is amazing. Yeah. You know, and it strikes up conversations. Yeah. So, so yeah, from an aspirational standpoint, <laughs> like having um, a platform where people can visualize the reimagination of space and then create it together is, is what we want to build. Um, and then from grounding it into a, a reality, um, you know, the reality in which we were working at the time, it was all about plants. So we're living in the Netherlands. We had gotten into the um, the world's largest accelerator for for horticultural startups. Where um, was that based? In Amsterdam. In Amsterdam. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and eco, you know, eco three co. So yeah. It's really those three things: the simplicity, okay. the aspirational, but also the grounding. Oh, that's very cool. And I just googled what uh, a snake plant looks like, and uh, you had a four foot tall. One it's of these walking down. <laughs> it's a big yeah. That is cool. Yeah, that would be uh, <laughs> that would be eye catching for sure. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, congrats on the new kiddos at home. I don't <laughs> very, know how many I'm you very got. Very excited. <laughs> yeah, his name is Lawrence. So nice. He's doing well. He's acclimating. <laughs> so I had when we had coffee what a couple of weeks ago, I had asked you. Uh, your so right now, Threeco is um, digitizing plants specifically and turning them into 3D images. Is that right. right? And I had asked you why plants and I loved your answer. Like, why are you starting with plants? There's so many different uh, ways that your technology can impact any, any industry. Right. And, yeah. uh, and you had yeah. said... And I, my response was, well, why did Jeff Bezos choose books? Yeah. Why did he start with books? Yeah. I mean, so, so clearly that's a passion of yours. Yeah, plants. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jeff Bezos is a geek, uh, uh, a reading geek. I'm a yeah. plant geek. Yeah. Um, you know, there are also some very, uh, very obvious uh, sort of attribute. I would, they're non-obvious, but they eventually revealed themselves. You know, certain attributes that plants have. They're not so expensive that you will take you know half of your day on Saturday to. Um, to, to go and, and sit down. You know, you, you won't go to, you'll go to Ikea and you'll sit down on something yeah. or, you know, Ikea is not a good example. You go to, you know, design within reach. Right. You know, because you want to buy a $20,000, you know, sectional. You're yeah. going to go and sit down on it. Whereas a plant, you know, tops, you're going to pay 200 bucks for it. So if, if it goes wrong, it just goes wrong. So the, the price, the price points is, is useful. Um, everyone loves plants. Yeah. You know, everyone loves books. Everyone loves plants. Yeah. Um, so there's that aspect and, um, and yeah, being able to visualize them. So only two percent of of plants are purchased on the internet today. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's when, you know, sixty percent of, of fashion is bought on the internet. 
40% of furniture is bought on the internet, but how is it that only 2% of, of plants are purchased on the internet? Right. You know? So we, d we, we dug into that. We just lived in a plant shop for six months in Amsterdam, accosting all these Dutch people. Oh, Why really? are you here? Why, Why? don't you buy something on the internet? You're going to yeah. have to lug that massive plant all the way home in your bicycle. Like, what yeah. are you doing? Don't you know Jeff Bezos probably sells these online? Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's, they're pushing really hard. You know, I, I, he might be optimizing based off of my, you know, cookies. But Probably. <laughs> I am the perfect, perfect customer for purchasing plants on, on the internet. But the fact is, um, I didn't go, like, I'm me, and I spend half my day to go look at a plant because... Um, to go purchase a plant because I wanted to be able to see it first. So, you know, people want to be able to see the the object before they buy it. Mm -hmm. um, and the other special thing about plants is people want to be able to talk to an expert. Yeah. So that that's really where, you know, we can solve the seeing problem with the augmented reality, and then we can solve the expert part with the artificial intelligence. Yeah. And in terms of building an AI around building confidence uh, on, on behalf of the consumer. You know, it's something as simple as uh, we've been demoing a, um, it's basically a convolutional neural network that uses image data feeds into your phone and then classifies pixels to be a, a window or not, a light source or not. And then we can create uh, a topological map of your, of your space, of your office or of your, uh, of your home, and then basically know this amount of light is going to be hitting all of these different corners in different ways, and therefore you can you can have a you know a high you know a, 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 you know you can if there's a highlight area then you can get a, a highlight plant right you know and if it's a low light area we might suggest something different. Gotcha. So the yeah. platform will help inform uh, consumers about what might be good for a specific area of their home or whatever, yeah. office, whatever. Yeah, okay. exactly. Wow, interesting. So, in, so that's, an, that's an example of augmented, rea augmented reality. You showed me on your phone when we had first met what the platform does, and I would, be, uh, yeah, I would probably very terribly describe what I saw. Uh, can you, for the listeners, can you kind of describe... Yeah. Uh, how that works and what? Yeah, well, I mean the the what's what's kind of cool about working in this space yeah. is someone doesn't really understand it until um, they see it, yeah. and when they see it, it it clicks, you know. Right. Um, so it, it's real fun to be working in a, a space where it is so visual and it is so experience based, and it's also quite fringe. You know, not many people have experienced it. Yeah. Even though. You know, Apple and Google have been competing to get it into your pocket in as high quality way as possible for the last four years. Right. You know, Apple has AR Kit, Google has AR Core, and essentially they're competing with each other to entice as many developers as possible to build on their platform. So if you own oh, an iPhone seven, 7 or above, that. you can experience augmented wow. reality. Um. So, so yeah, it's augmented reality is pretty freaking cool you know what, what would your dis, what would your definition of augmented reality be yeah so augmented reality is just a digital overlay into your into your everyday world okay. so you know the 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 most obvious um sort of applications for it are headsets mm -hmm. you know so uh so snapchat spectacles 
you know, that's that was an augmented reality headset. It was very limited, um, but it was really the first consumer application of mm -hmm. an AR uh, experience. You know, Microsoft has their HoloLens. They're really popular at, um, you know, large sort of manufacturing and assembly line plants. Hmm. My brother works for Boeing. Everyone's rocking. A, all, of, all of his workers are rocking these augmented reality headsets. And what's useful is you can, you know, you're pu they're put, here they are putting together these planes. But at the same time, you know, these guys, they're humans. They're like you and me. We make mistakes, right? So... I don't make mistakes. Well, you don't make mistakes, but for the rest of no. us, <laughs> um, having a having a, a video um, into their into their everyday workflow, yeah. um, it helps them to uh, be safer. You know, it helps not only them be safer, but also the the planes be safer um, because it can pick up on visual cues and and then sort of redirect and correct. Um, you know, the the, the the end user. So. Wow. Yeah, I was I was talking with a friend. We were skiing, and we were thinking, wouldn't it be cool if our if our ski goggles had a, a, a you know a speedometer on them and could tell them us how fast we're going in real time? In real time, yeah. Oh my god, that would be kick ass. Um, like, what if I'm always losing my friends when I'm skiing? Like, what if I had sort of a Google Maps here? You must go straight and then left and then right and then right and then you'll find your friends. Yeah. What if I could have that on my on my ski goggles? I saw earlier today someone launched a um, a swimming augmented reality headset. So you know you can you can see how many laps you've done. You can see your pace. You know the, how many strokes that sort of thing. Strokes. Wow. You've, you've got. So yeah, that's that's. I mean the the possibilities are, are pretty endless. There's some pretty smart guys who have gone out and said augmented reality is going to be bigger than the than the iPhone. Mm -hmm. uh, bigger than the than the smartphone. Um, Tim Cook has said it. Sundar Pichai has said it. It almost yeah. um, it has the potential to replace yeah. that technology, right? Yeah. Because then you're wearing yeah, all just, the time that technology. Yeah, there's this company that just got a ton of press. I think it's called Mujo, M-U-J-O, Lens. And huh. it's, a, it's a smart lens, contact lens that you'd put wow. into your eye. Yeah. And, and uh, data would just pull up. It's like yeah, you, we've yeah. all seen tons of movies where, mm -hmm. you know, see through the eyes of RoboCop or whatever, yep. and you can see all the stats in his sight and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, a lot of people like to imagine a dystopian future, <laughs> yeah. you know, through this sort of black mirror type lens. Yeah. But I, I see a very bright future, especially as it pertains to the creation of space, you mm -hmm. know, because what if you could codify you know, all of these great interior designers, landscape architects, uh, urbanists. What if you can take all of that knowledge and build it into inside a platform so that people can um, sort of borrow the idea, not only borrow the ideas of, of great thinkers, great designers, but also see it happening in real time. Yeah. Um, like that excites the hell out of me. So this all lands in the world of software development, right? Yeah. How much? So I don't. I I have no clue how to write software. Is this is augmented reality? Is it far more complex of code than I, I don't know, like a CRM or a website code, or is it just different, different language entirely? How does it it's, work in the back end? It is. Mm, I'm trying to think about the best. I'm, I want to be PC about my answer. There's, there are a lot of, 
pretty much everyone who's on the cutting edge yep. of this space, we call it spatial computing, okay. has a PhD from MIT or Caltech. Oh, or really? Okay. Crazy. Yeah, there's highly, highly educated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's there's just a lot of linear algebra. Uh, there's a lot of what is that math? Yeah, a lot That's of math not my involved. Suit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of math involved when it comes to what's called simultaneous localization and mapping, and that's the foundation of augmented reality. Okay. Um, like I'll, sh I'll, sh I'll show you, I'll show you at some point um, my Magic Leap headset. And in the first step of having an augmented reality um, experience is being able to map out the space that you're in, so that it knows, okay, uh, the, the walls are here, you know, the ceilings here, so I can't put a virtual turtle in your space and then have it go through the wall because the wall exists. Hmm. So it's it's sort of it's it's this sort of digital representation of the physical space that you're in that you can then run simulations through within. So you you have to t you have to tell it where the structures are or where the where the boundaries are yeah. that yeah. it's going to play within. Yeah, so you wow. know, essentially, what it's doing is it's it's looking for feature points in the environment that mm -hmm. you're in, and then it's trying to create as high quality polygon mesh on top of it. Yeah, and then that's the environment in which it then you then experience the world. Um, oh. So it, it's not. I mean, we do a lot of stuff in you know C plus uh, plus. You know, you, it does require a lower level you know memory managed computer language. But if if someone's interested in they can they can do it. It's not it's not rocket science. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you uh, you obviously didn't go to school for software development? Where, when did you learn to write code, and what's your background in that? Yes. So I started writing code at the end of my um, stint in New York when I was doing you know investing. Okay. Uh, living you know sort of the Wall Street life. Um, and yeah, so I'm not your typical software engineer where wow. I studied CS. You know, right? Um, and there's some pros and cons to that. You know, on the one hand, uh, all self-taught software engineers never feel like they know enough, so they're mm -hmm. always hungrier. We always feel like we have to prove ourselves. Yeah. You know, we always have a chip on our shoulder. Whereas people who have the CS degree can, you know, sort of coast on that. And this yeah. is what I've this is what I've experienced. So I love working with people who are self-taught, sort of autodidactic individuals right they're hungry they have this chip and they want to prove themselves and they're always they're always learning um wh so what year did you start teaching yourself uh 2016 yeah <laughs> oh my god yeah it's it's amazing too no <laughs> three other, years <laughs> yeah no other no other industry have i found um where there's so much free learning material oh really people love to teach other people how to code it's phenomenal. And it's the future. So for those uh, listeners that like are curious and maybe want to do that too, yeah. where, where, is it, where are a couple good places to go? Um, so the first thing I built was an iOS app. Uh -huh. And uh, the language is Swift. So I just, I, I searched the, the internet, found uh, Udemy. You might know it. And watched a course by a guy named Rob Percival, this British guy from Cambridge. He mm -hmm. taught me how to build a you know, a clone of Instagram and a clone of, of WhatsApp and a clone of Uber. And you, oh, wow. You sort of 
it, it's like this. As, as if you're designing, uh, developing that yourself, yeah. newly. Okay. Yeah, he walks. He 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 brings you from, oh from zero to to creation. Um, and it's this is true for any industry. You know, if if I'm a if I if I if I'm a DJ, right? I don't the f- the first sort of two, three, four, five years. Sometimes I'm just recreating what other people have done. Right. Um, and then I get to the point where I can create myself. You know, mathematicians, all the greatest mathematicians, they first learned from the greats that came before them, and then they were able to come up with their own theories, test them, demonstrate them, and provide yeah. proofs. So, it, just like in any field, you, you just learn, 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 emulate, copy, until the point where you can create yourself. Yeah. Um, and what's cool about software engineering is, yeah, you can copy a whole lot of people. I mean, GitHub, you can Git clone anything and kick the tires on it. So yeah. within about six months, I, w- I got to the point where I could get paid to consult, and it was awesome. I, I, was, I was living in Brazil, uh, on, you know, waking up, you know, first thing I'd code for four hours for right. someone, some, some project, natural language processing, data mining, whatever. And I'd be sad. I could work two days a week. It's pretty cushy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I want to do more than just surf. Do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, sounds like you are up to big things now. And, and what, um, what brought you to Denver from New York? You moved here, what, two weeks ago? Maybe yeah, three? Yeah, so I uh, spent a lot of time in New York. Actually, most recently I was living in Europe in Amsterdam. Okay. Between Amsterdam and Oh, London. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so my co-founder, uh, we, he and I, we, we sort of felt like we were hitting a, a ceiling, personally, professionally, in, um, in, in Europe. And it was time to move back to the, to the U.S. So we were deciding. The most obvious place was San Francisco, just given our backgrounds. But... I don't know. I like to do things you know, that aren't immediately obvious. Right. Um, so one of our investors is Techstars, and Techstars' headquarters is in Boulder. Yeah. Uh, Lance, he's my CTO, my co-founder. Yeah. Um, he has a, a master's degree from Boulder, so he spent three years there. Um, and we're also just heard really great things. You know, there's sun more than 300 days a year in Boulder. Right. There's uh, rain more than 300 days in Amsterdam. So <laughs> oh, it's geez. Just, it was really, it was, it was all, you know, sort of all roads led to, led to Boulder. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Boulder's quite small. So I found my, myself building friendships with, you know, you and Pascal and Saba and all these guys. Yeah. And everyone's in Denver and I'm spending all my, all my days in, in Denver. So when, when the opportunity presented itself to move here, I had to, had to take it. Yeah. Oh man. And, uh, we live in what I think is the best building in Denver. Yes. Union Denver. Shout right. Out in Union. Lodo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. We never have to leave the building. <laughs> Whole foods. This is true. <laughs> Whole foods about twice a day for me. It's dangerous. <laughs> Um, well, that's cool. Uh, we're glad you're here. <laughs> and uh, as you're finding out quickly, Colorado and Denver, Boulder, obviously, but even you know Denver may be surpassed, uh, maybe coming up to surpass Boulder in the amount of tech we have here in the city. It's amazing. And we, we get actually a lot of cross between us and San Francisco and Austin and Dallas also have a lot of uh, tech companies and early stage um, kind of communities, entrepreneurs. Um, Denver's really on the map now in terms of these industries. So, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome to be a part of. The, the, the world's largest um, startup week 
is the Denver one. It's bigger than San Francisco. Really? It's bigger than Boston, bigger wow. than New York. Um, yeah, it's, I love the energy here. Yeah. You know, it's electric. It is very cool. And the support, I don't know, just what I've experienced, the support of the community for that fosters entrepreneurship and, you know, taking chances and stuff. It's just so thick here. There's always people to help. There's always people that are looking to help uh, any entrepreneur be successful, make introductions, here's some capital, whatever the case. Yeah. The ecosystem yeah. has is amazing. Absolutely. And, and you know, shout out Techstars for, for helping to create that. You know, one of Absolutely. Techstars' mantras is give first. Yeah. Uh, it's a mentorship-driven accelerator. And I think that the, that the work that they've done in order to teach people how to how to build startups, how to build startup communities, yeah, um, has provided a blueprint for the rest of the world. So they're now operating in something like fifty different cities, mm -hmm. uh, and they're international now. They're international. I did the London program. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, t just being part of that network and learning from it, and then just trying to you know push it forward, give yeah. back wherever I can. Um, has been a super valuable lesson. I think that it's the proximity to, to Boulder and Techstars that has then led to Denver becoming the place, such a great place, the, place, yeah. the great place that it is today. Yeah, it's becoming. Great. Yeah. So uh, I want to dive a little deeper into you personally uh, so we can kind of get to know more about what makes you tick. So I like to end these with like rapid-fire questions, um, you know, just to get uh, a little bit deeper. Um, Sounds good. So first one is, what is you being in technology? What is your favorite technology that you use on a regular basis? Huh. Good question. <laughs> What's my favorite technology? Um, I, I mean, I love cloud compute. What's super cool about cloud compute is I can be on a beach in Brazil with low-speed internet, and I can get all the compute in the world elsewhere. All I need is to be able to, you know, secure secure shell into an Amazon Web Services like EC2 instance. Yeah. And I can get I can get a 64 core GPU, you know, and I can net network that into a number, you know, like parallelized graphical processing units to do like massive, massive compute. So sort what of is like that. So does that allow you to like be on that beach in Brazil, but then tap into quicker, more powerful computers somehow exactly. just to do what you need to do? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I have never heard of that before. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's it feels like a superpower. Yeah. Because you because you can you can sort of clone yourself at scale, you know. Um, they're called elastic containers. So basically, what you do is you can you can set up a you can set up any sort of cron job or you can set up any sort of you know if, if you want to build an API um, and it just works for you mm -hmm. when you're sleeping. You know, this idea of leverage mm -hmm. in technology is, is just one, of, one of the reasons that I'm so excited to be working in it because you can, you can replicate yourself as many times as you want. Yeah, incredible. Well, I learned, I learned a lot of new things every day, especially in this arena, but uh, yeah, definitely learned something new today. Um, how about uh, morning routine? Do you have a morning routine um, you try to stick to? Yeah, every morning I uh, will write in a journal to sort of reflect, um, and I make sure to make it not about, you know, work and tasks. Try to make it um, deeper, broader, more personal. 
uh, I find that that helps. I write it in cursive and in blue. They say that blue helps you think hmm. uh, more creatively. Um, yeah, I, I'm a breakfast guy. I think breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Okay. So I always eat a, eat a good breakfast. Um, and I'm a morning person. I wake up. I always have been. My whole family, yeah. So I'm usually up by 5.30. Wow. You know, just jump out of bed. I'm not even an alarm clock guy. I just wake up. Oh, my gosh. It drives people crazy. And you and Pascal have been working out in the mornings. Together. Yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> he, he, he's been pushing it later, later. <laughs> but, yeah, I also like to go on a run in the morning. Oh, cool. Yeah. You'll have to drag me out someday. I've been trying to get uh, back on that routine. I don't know. You're a pretty strong guy, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> not in the cardio uh, arena, not in the running. <laughs> I don't, do not enjoy that. Um, so uh, are there any books that have been super impactful in your career or life that you'd recommend? Yeah, so the my favorite book, and I've read it more than 10 times, and I still probably comprehend 30% of it, is uh, a book called uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's by a, a philosopher who taught at Columbia named Joseph Campbell. Uh, it basically describes the hero's journey, and then he contextualizes, he, he weaves all these stories of mythological creatures around this, this narrative that he creates. Um, so I, I love that. You, you have to read it a few times to like really absorb it because it's, it's, it's dense. Is um, it? Yeah. But it's, it's an awesome book. Um, I love Ray Dalio's Principles. Oh, yeah. Okay. Have you read it? I have not read it. I'm aware of it, though, yeah. Mm. It's on the list. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, uh, I, I love business books, mm-hmm. you know. Um, not really like self-help t- st- type style of stuff, but you know this you know, startup of you, you know, for example, okay. uh, you know anything that Peter Thiel writes or Reed Hoffman writes or any of those guys. Yeah, the PayPal mafia. I'll consume it. I love that stuff. <laughs> That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, any uh, uh, quotes that kind of in the same realm here? Any quotes that you know have that you're super drawn to or? Um. Any mantras that you, yeah. <laughs> I've always wanted to be one of those types of guys who could spit off all these great quotes. Right. <laughs> the only quote that I've ever really remembered was frugality is an enriching virtue. It's by uh, Benjamin Franklin. I remember reading Interesting. It in frugality is an enriching virtue. Virtue. Yeah. Huh. Um, but yeah, yeah, not, not, not really like a quotes guy. When I see a good quote, I, I'll like write it down. Yeah. But yeah. Cool. And uh, last question. Sounds like you're pretty well traveled. You've been a lot of places. What is your favorite place that you've ever been in the Japan. world? Oh, Japan. Oh yeah. I love Japan. Japan. Th- what What's unique about Japan is that they, you know, after World War II, they went into isolation, but they had to solve all the same problems that we had to solve here in the Western world. But they did it in a different way. So they, they, yeah, they just. It's just a little bit different. Everything's a little bit different, a little bit on edge. Um, and I'll tell you what, Matt, the, 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 the joy and passion that every Japanese individual brings to whatever they do, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, the CEO of Toyota or if they're the janitor at Toyota, mm-hmm. they love what they do. There's so much passion for their craft. And I have so much reverence for that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. 
That uh, I've not made it to Japan yet. That's let's go. Hopefully in the yeah, I'd love it's on to. the Epic Pass. Hopefully in the next two three years, I'll make it there. I have a lot of friends that go there. Yeah, to ski and to eat sushi and yeah, <laughs> so. love the ramen. Yeah, and the ramen, oh man, lived yeah. on ramen when I was there. Yeah, but well, cool. This is a fun conversation. Love learning more about you and Three Co. And uh, would be fun to watch. Uh, that your company as it grows and see what's next. So Steve, if um, uh, any of the listeners want to learn more about 3Co or you and uh, try to get in touch, uh, what's the best way for people to? Yeah, our, so our website, 3Co.ai, 3Co.ai, is oh. a great resource. Um, and, you know, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. I don't use it very often, but Stephen T. Jenkins on Twitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Stephen T. Jenkins and 3 3co.ai. Yep. 3co.ai. Perfect. Thanks, man. Really All enjoyed right. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.